0: Those of you who did watch the service yesterday, uh, and indeed listened to comments made um, about Prince Philip over the past week, may have been in some ways pleasantly surprised. Um, I I think it would be fair to say that he didn't always appear to be a a man of um, clear faith or strong faith. Um, The Queen certainly does, and how we need to continue to pray for her, she She was a wee soul, wasn't she, yesterday, sitting her own? But then many of you can relate to that, and many other people over this past year can relate to that. But nonetheless, um, she would be somebody who was at the church and everything else. He wouldn't necessarily be um, so obviously so. Um, But nonetheless, um, many commentators spoke, especially of his latter years, and that's often the case. In the latter years, he began to think perhaps more thoughtfully about this life, and indeed the life to come. And certainly through his experiences in his long life, during war and during all the upheavals of his long life, well, he had plenty to think about. Um, Religious leaders, Christian preachers who preached in his presence often said, and we've heard that over the past week or so, that the worst part of having to preach in front of the royal family wasn't actually conducting the service, but was if they were in person with Prince Philip later, the interrogation that he gave them, asking deep questions good questions, about what he'd said and about what that meant. And so, that's good, because the Lord himself said that if we ask and we seek and knock, then we will receive, we will find, and we will know. And certainly, the service yesterday spoke very clearly of the Christian hope, Um, the readings, and it was very much based on the Word of God. And you might notice that there wasn't a great eulogy about his life. Obviously, references were made, but nonetheless, it emphasized the Christian hope, that well-known reading, nonetheless vital reading from John's gospel, um, along with other readings that spoke of that hope of the gospel, the reading that I certainly use often at funeral services, where Jesus, going to meet with Mary and Martha, says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha answered, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And interesting, we switched off We just watched the actual service, but afterwards, when they were trying to talk about it, and they were obviously moved, the commentators in the television rooms, it was interesting how they struggled in some ways with a very clear Christian and biblical emphasis of that service. Because, of course, the hope of the gospel, Christ crucified and risen, and all that flows from that is central to the Christian life and indeed to the church but it is radically different from the spirit of the contemporary age. We're living in a post-Christian world. I remember, many of you will remember, David Miller commenting about that many years ago here as he he tried to help us think through what it means to live in a post-Christian world. But But it's not just him that says that. The evidence is clearly there, and it has indeed been for some time. Yes, there's still, in some areas, state occasions like we saw yesterday, a veneer of Christianity. It was interesting that as they left St. George's Chapel, some of the older members of the royal family stood, and that wouldn't be our tradition, and I appreciate that, but stood and bowed towards the altar, as you would perhaps do in a particular tradition of the church. I did notice not any of the younger ones did that, Um, and all right, just an outward sign, but I think it's true that an older generation, and there's a veneer of at least acknowledgement of God and of the place of the church, but that certainly wouldn't be the case amongst the vast majority of people, empty from 40 down that's why we need to pray for young people as they seek to be faithful to Jesus in schools. And the whole issue does ultimately center on those facts, and I would want to say these facts. Let me read to you some verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I brought Bibles out now. Well, if you take a Bible, then use it, please do, it in order to follow what we're saying, and then just leave it on the seat, and I'll attend to it, fumigate it afterwards, but do, if you can, read your Bible and follow from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to read quite a bit from this chapter back and forward, and so I'd encourage you to have the chapter in front of you so you can follow what we're saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and starting, we'll start from verse 1, good place to start, where Paul writes to these Christians, quite a large church made up of different congregations uh, meeting in that massive cosmopolitan city of Corinth. And he writes, now, brothers and sisters, verse 1, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Just pause there. So, this is not something that's open for, you know, the spirit of the age. Well, we can agree to disagree and just move on. This is central, what Paul is saying. This gospel, this good news of Jesus is central. It actually defines not only the substance of what we believe, but how someone is actually saved and brought into God's family. And he goes on, verse 3, for what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is to Peter, and then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And Paul here is giving basically a very early creedal statement. Again, perhaps not in our tradition. We don't recite the Apostles' Creed as some churches do. Perhaps that's a failing in some ways because this creedal statement, again, probably was used that people would affirm to and then they would be asked, do you believe this? And they would say yes. And then they would say probably, and we have reference to this in Corinthians, that statement, Jesus is Lord, that hangs on the banner, has done since we entered the, the new millennium way back in 2000 and they would then be baptized. And so there was an affirming of doctrine, and then there was a personal profession of faith in that Christ that the doctrine speaks about, and then they'd be baptized. And this probably is part of that creedal statement that people would affirm to. And I think that's important for us to be clear about that. We live, and the church has really, for the last century, lived under the pressure of a form of humanism, that became very obvious, especially after the ending of the last war, the Second World War, which of course now is a long time away. Prince Philip marks the ending and the passing of that generation. And that spirit of humanism has, has things that are commendable about it a value and a, a right sense of people's value, and importance, and the care for people, and all the rest of it. Of course it does. But ultimately, at its goal is what it says it's human, it's centered on us on who we are, on what we can do, and how we can achieve things, and how ultimately, and unfortunately, how good and great we can be. That's a contradiction to the gospel. The gospel starts with the very truth, as Paul says here, Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was raised in the third day. It focuses on God, on who he is, and on what he has done. That's why I think that Psalm 104 was very, you know, Prince Philip wanted that song at his funeral. Because it very much focuses on the creator and the sustainer and the upholder of all that is, and human sin ultimately is rebellion against that creator and sustainer and upholder of all that it is. And without that, we are sinners who will be banished from the earth, as the psalmist says, apart from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We have to challenge that me-centered, me-too spirit of the age, focus afresh upon God, the Creator and Sustainer and the Savior in Jesus Christ, and on the events in history, in time and space that he has accomplished. That's why Paul states that here. But as I sensed from the commentators yesterday, as they struggled perhaps with the very clear Christian emphasis on Jesus as the resurrection of the life. So, of course, it's always been like that. This chapter in 1 Corinthians is all about that because there was even then questions about that. Look to verse 12, and he said, read this, but if it is preached, Interesting enough, he's using the same word as he would use to speak about preaching, but he is talking about people probably getting up in the public square in Corinth and denouncing Christian doctrine and denouncing the church, publicly doing that. And there are people in the public marketplace today who would do exactly the same on the media and other forms of communication would publicly denounce Christians and the doctrines of the faith. So look what he says. If it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has not been then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so, what Paul's saying, and it is quite difficult, he's using a form of rhetorical argument that was quite common in the public square. So, you would get up and say your bit, as I said, and somebody else would get up in the marketplace and say their bit, and there would be a kind of like a public debate, and there was a form really related to the Greek form of uh, oratory where there would be a, a rhetorical debate between you, and that's, in a sense, why it's, even trying to read it, It's quite difficult, you know, because that's the kind of language. But basically, what he's saying is that if somebody's getting up in the marketplace and saying, see, this nonsense about Jesus being raised and this nonsense that in him you're going to be, that is just rubbish. Then he said if you believe that, if you allow that to seep into your consciences, if you allow that to erode your understanding of the gospel, then frankly the whole thing is pointless. And we have that spirit today. There would be those in the marketplace, of course, who would say that Jesus never existed. But there were others who would say, well, yes, he did exist, and he's a great moral teacher. He's a great example of caring for others. His words had a lot no, a lot of good things, especially the whole thing, the, the, the commandment to love, how that's banded about, isn't it? And, and, and that's important, and that's right, and we respect Jesus along with Buddha, and along with the prophet, and along with this person and that person. He's one of a myriad of people who have wise things to say from the past. rubbish. Rubbish. Remember C.S. Lewis's comments about that. If Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, the Son of God, crucified and risen, then either he's a liar or he's a madman. But the last thing he is, is a good man. Because, as Paul says here, he's deceived us. Our faith is futile. We're still in our sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have, are lost. And if only for this life we hope in Christ, well, let's be honest, we've as well been outside, well, maybe not playing golf, but doing whatever you would do on a Sunday morning and at other times. But you see, my friends, and I know this, you dear saints listening online are here. I know this, you dear saints, that's not how we think. That's not how we think. Why? Because as I said last Sunday, we're seeing things through the specs the specks that are given to us by God, the specks that are the resurrection of Jesus. That radically changes how we see things, how we understand life, how we understand our world, how we understand our place in the world, how we understand what's going on in the world and where the world is going and what spirit of the age is about in the world. It radically changes our view of everything. It changes our view about our own death. Let's read on. And as I say, it's not even reading it's not that easy the way he argues. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for some For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die. Notice how he speaks about Adam as well here. His belief in the man, the original man, Adam. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, and again he's speaking about his return, then when he comes, those who belong to him, him. then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is God. See, again, how central Jesus is, the Jesus who was crucified, the Jesus who was raised, the Jesus who was ascended, the Jesus who will come to judge the living and the dead, the Lord of all creation, all powers, all dominions, all authority. And to take that away from Jesus Christ is serious. not only doctrinally, but also for the individual life of the believer. Just pausing there. Keep, I'm not asking you to look up these verses, Keep, but just these well-known verses from the book of Hebrews. The writer says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have believed and who have gone on into the eternal glories, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. That's how we keep going in the Christian life. What has sustained us over this past year, despite the many challenges we face, it's fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and pioneer of our faith, who endured so much more for us and for all his people, and is now glorified to the right hand of the throne of God above, and who will come again. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ enables us, it's the confirmation, it's the affirmation that what God has said he would do in the Lamb of God who came to take away our sins, he has kept his word. And it's that blessed hope and that blessed confidence that sustains us. Reading on, picking up in verse 30 of that same chapter in Corinthians. As for us, he says, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Talking about whether, you know, if there's no resurrection and everything else. As for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Is that not the spirit of the age among so many people? Eat, drink, for tomorrow Well, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame it determines how we live it determines how we view our life it determines how we behave it determines our practice as well as the thoughts that we might have it determines the whole of who we are and our willingness to walk that road of service and countless christians down through the ages including some young people in our contemporary school situation and university situation face all kinds of opposition, because they even dare to say that they're a follower of Jesus. Then Paul goes on in this chapter to talk about the type of resurrection. We're not going to get bogged down into that, but then I'm going to pick up in verse, let's think now, verse 50, verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. Let's be honest, it is a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been closed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is that Christian hope of the resurrection to eternal life that sustains us when we look into the grave. Over the years, and again, I'm not asking you to look up this, but over the years, I've always been very careful when it comes to a funeral, only to read these words when I know that they're true for somebody who was a believer. And rather than giving false, perhaps hope, to those that weren't certainly my last charge, I had plenty of parish funerals, including the one I've told you about, which had on the plaque, remember I've told you about that one, I think, which had his name, but then he had another wee plaque underneath, and I was nosy, this was standing outside said Douglas, I mean, I went and have a wee look, and this was a guy only in his fifties who dropped dead, He was well known in the village, dropped dead, and I had a heart attack walking over on the, the old railway bridge from Carmel to Campus Lang. And I wish I'd, I've said before, I wish I'd written down what he'd said, but basically on this other wee plaque underneath this same was, there is nothing, I am nothing, there will be nothing. Words to that effect, I remember getting up one of the few times ever I said, John, I remember his name, i will not saying anymore, John. John now knows that's wrong. But here's the blessed hope for the believer. Brothers and sisters from First Thessalonians, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Just pausing there, that's not to say we don't grieve. I'm looking out here, and I know some of you grieve over the death of your loved ones. Of course you do. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. It's not that we don't grieve. Not that. But we don't grieve as the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's Word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another and comfort one another with these words. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. I know many of us, as we draw to a close, this is actually my first point, but I'll do point two next Sunday. As we draw to a close, Robert last Sunday was excellent wasn't he not give Nick's dad embarrassment but he was excellent very fine man a number of things interesting actually he and people who perhaps in personality wise and ecclesiastical background wise very different but he and other young men of his age people in their 30s mid-30s are all saying the same kinds of things so we need to listen I'm saying that to the denomination not just to you dear folks we need to listen I need to listen to somebody going out the way to those who are coming in and serving. But particularly, notice what he said about death. And particularly, notice what he said about how he applied that to the past year. It's not that we're careless or casual. Not that we're going about spreading COVID everywhere or anything like that. Or else are taking risks with our health otherwise. Of course not. But surely in God's name, if as a believer we don't have confidence as we face life and death, then what is the point? And I've been deeply heartened by many of you and others online as you've shown that confidence And as you've taken the opportunities, not just to come to church, but to seek to live life within the regulations that we have, but nonetheless have done so. Why? Because we know that He lives in our hearts and that we will live with Him. I'm also deeply saddened that there are some who haven't shown that. But I commend the majority who have. Not that we're careless, not that we're casual, but as in Christ, all will be raised. So we have that confidence that whatever may befall us, and of course there are far more serious illnesses going about than just COVID. We know that. Some of us have had that. Pneumonia, other things, cancer, whatever else. But also we know our life is held in God's hand the hall of his hands. I still remember my dad being asked by the doctor, offered yet more surgery that was going to take half his innards out and put them around the ward. And I remember my dad saying no. He said, you know, I'm not afraid of death. I'm a believer. I know where I'm going. But I'm concerned about the process of getting there <laughs> and about, you know, what's going to happen to me. So I'm not taking that operation. I'm not going to have that treatment. Wisely spoken. That is the blessed hope of the believer. That's the glasses through which we see life and death. Not as death is not. Some unfortunate accident that we're going to try and avoid. I mean, I brought this in. Did you see this? Maybe not. The paper the other week, they'll need to ask Nick what he thinks about it. We'll stop you getting sick, says NHS chief. Did you see that? That's what I think of that. Sickness and death is part of life. And God in his sovereign hand, and I've seen that so often in my ministry for over 30 years, God sovereignly uses that to bring us to a knowledge of himself and to assurance of the resurrection from the dead. That's the believer's hope. That's the believer's confidence. And that's how we see our world as well as our own lives, through those lens. And we'll think more about that point too, will come next Sunday. We're going to hear our final hymn, Amazing Grace. Let's pray together. For that amazing grace revealed and offered in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, we give you thanks, O God, this day for that blessed hope for the believer that as we have lived in Christ, so we shall rule and reign with him in glory, that he will come again to judge the living and the dead and take his people to the eternal home for that and for so much more. Yes, for the mystery of all of that. For that we don't understand as much as for that we do understand. We give you thanks, O oh God. And we do pray that in these increasingly challenging times, and we do thank you for people like Robert and Nathan, the you pastor at Baldwin Evangelical, Richard Gamble, like Martin and others, people, men of God in their thirties, very different in personality, very different in their ecclesiastical background, and yet that unity of so much of what they're saying, grant, O oh God, that the church, the people of my generation, would be willing to listen and learn and hear what you're saying to your people in this day and in this generation. And now may the God, who brought again from the dead his own Son, our only Savior, Jesus Christ, keep our hearts and minds fixed in the love and in the knowledge of him. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, rest upon us and remain with us this day and forevermore. And the people of God said,